Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. Inflation has also been a big story of the week, with prices up 6.2% last month, which is the largest rise in 30 years. Supply chain issues continue to be the main culprit for post-pandemic woes. For more on all this, we'll speak to Kevin Dugan, reporter and New York Magazine. Right now, we are looking at price increases happening across the board because we have a lot of problems with the supply chain. And there are a lot of people who have a lot of money. They have a lot of money saved up because they got to work from home and they got to save their stimulus checks and they weren't going out so much. There are estimates that I've seen put around uh, $2.5 trillion extra was saved at the beginning of the pandemic. So that means that companies know that people can spend a lot of money. We're talking about consumers here. Consumers make up two thirds of the economy. So the reason why we're seeing this in some ways is because companies know that they can charge more and people will pay. And, you know, we've seen wages go up as well in certain cases. And uh, so some of those gains are just kind of being wiped out by all these higher prices now. Wages have gone up a little bit, not as much as people are seeing in the grocery store or at the gas station, right? Uh, Gas is up almost 50%. And it's going to get worse because fuel oil, oil that people use to heat their houses is up even more. So, you know, a lot of people have seen their wages increase because they changed jobs or because they were in the position to demand more money from their employers. But one of the problems here is whether this is going to continue to outpace how much people are getting paid. And it effectively means that people have gotten less money over the past year. What are we hearing when it comes to the White House? Uh, We're hearing uh, President Biden saying this could be transitory, you know, meaning temporary. But, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff is tied to the supply chain issue that, you know, we've talked about that on the podcast for a lot. And we, we know that it's a problem right now getting all those goods stuck out at sea and just kind of getting things delivered on time. But what we're hearing is that the supply chain issues are going to go well into 2022. So does that mean that inflation, the high inflation that we're experiencing now is going to last that long as well? Well, part of the reason why inflation is up so much is because last year at this time, things were still pretty flat, right? We're still dealing with prices going down during the pandemic economy. So, look, it remains to be seen how much this uh, will, uh, how much prices will rise or how long it will go. But if it continues at this rate, that would be very alarming. Biden has said that this is a major priority for him. In fact, it's such a priority that in the middle of the environmental summit going on, he is urging the OPEC countries to produce more oil <laughs> right? Exactly. because he, right. I mean, it's, it's a political liability for him. People need to fill up their cars. And even though your car might be, it's, well, it's probably worth more than it's ever been worth. Most people can't just sell it. They need it. So it is a big political liability for Biden, but there's no quick fix to it. Yeah. it this is a global problem. 
What are some of the traditional remedies we have to fight in inflation? Well, they're not very fun. It's increasing interest rates. It's making it more expensive to borrow. It's making it more expensive to take out a mortgage. Um, Those are all the things so, that we've been keeping low up until this point. Exactly. When Paul Volcker was the head of the Fed, he spiked interest rates as you know deliberately as a way to shock the economy out of with the inflationary pressures that were you know making it so difficult to go grocery shopping to to buy food for your family. And it was very controversial at the time, but it ultimately did work to some extent, uh, to a very large extent, even though there were you know other repercussions that uh, went along with it. So it's probably not what the Biden administration would like to do, but that remains to be seen. Yeah, definitely something that needs to get under control. Obviously, those paychecks just aren't going as far when everything costs so much. But you did mention, you know, in the article, there are some other positive signs for the economy as well. Hiring is strong and a couple other things. You, you know, we talked about people saving up more money. So there are some good signs still, at least. It's just this is the one thing. I mean, this is one of the big things we've got to get under control. This is not like the 1970s, right? We have unemployment that is getting much lower. We are coming out of a, a very quick recession. People's wages are rising. And, you know, despite the fact that there are these supply chain issues, we're not seeing gas lines. People are able to, to get food, maybe just not exactly what they want when they want it. So it's manageable at this point, it looks like. Well, we'll continue to see uh, the effects of this and, uh, and how we uh, try to remedy it. Kevin Dugan, reporter at New York Magazine. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Have a good day. As Thanksgiving quickly approaches, we're hearing that it will be much more expensive this year and that there might be a turkey shortage. The expensive part is true, but there won't be a mass shortage of turkeys. Rather, it just might be difficult to find the one you want. Last year, small birds were all the rage because of smaller family gatherings. This year, it's all about the mid-sized birds. For more on why you should start shopping now, we'll speak to Emily Stewart, senior reporter at Vox. So one of the economists that I talked to about this kind of put this in a way that I thought was good, which was, we don't have a turkey shortage. It's not like farmers forgot to start raising turkeys. What's happening is that there are all these different disruptions on the supply chain that basically mean that it's not that there aren't any turkeys, it's that the turkeys are in the wrong places at the wrong time in some instances, right? Across industry, across industry, we hear stories about supply chain issues, about trucking, about labor shortages. This is happening in the turkey industry. You know, the way a turkey kind of processing works, it grows at the farm, it goes to a processor, then it, you know, it gets shipped to storage or back or to a store. So what's going on there is that at the processing plants, like we've seen at plenty of packing plants, uh, they're having a hard time finding workers. They're having a hard time finding labor. That's slowing things down. There has been an issue with, with transit and with trucking. Again, across multiple industries, turkeys are not immune to that. So maybe it's just more expensive to get the turkey from point A to point B. So that's some of the stuff that's going on in terms of like whether or not you're going to see the turkeys on the shelves. And there's also sort of different consumer trends that kind of grocers aren't quite sure what people are going to want. If you think back to last year, you know, people were still getting turkeys, but they were gathering in smaller groups. So people wanted smaller turkeys. Maybe before you were getting a turkey for 20 people, now you're getting four turkeys for five people. 
Yeah, and that's one of the interesting things because, uh, you know, the farmers and everybody, people that you spoke to, you know, they're basically having to guess what that number will be, what size birds people are going to want. And uh, as, you know, kind of what we're we're saying, there's not going to be a shortage of turkeys. It's just they're having to guess what kind of turkey you might want, seeing as how the pandemic kind of flipped everything on its head. Exactly. And they think maybe this year that people will be, you know, gathering in bigger groups again, wanting bigger turkeys, mid-sized turkeys. You know, I talked to one grocer who was like, I'm having the opposite problem of last year. I have these small turkeys. But at the same time, you know, a lot of kind of the industry groups are pushing, like, you might need to deal with leftovers, right? Like, you just kind of, you know, in the same way you were supposed to get the COVID shot that you could that you can find, get the turkey that you can find. And so if you have to deal with leftovers, like learn to love turkey leftovers. <laughs> that's, that's a great tip uh, right there. Uh, let's talk a little bit about costs. You mentioned some of it already with the supply chain issues. The shipping costs are pretty crazy right now. To move anything around the country is much more expensive, but also feeding the turkeys has become more expensive. We're looking at rising corn and soybean costs for that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's definitely been more expensive to get the turkeys grown and to the store. Um, and prices are up. You know, one farmer I talked to said, listen, I'm passing a little bit of those prices on to my customers in the grocery store, but not all of them. I think an interesting kind of wrinkle to point out here, an important one maybe, is that turkeys are a loss leader for grocery stores, which means they're not making a bunch of money off of, of turkeys. The idea is that they give you some sort of a deal entice you with the turkey so that you walk into the store and buy your entire Thanksgiving meal um, at the store. So it's not quite clear yet, at least anybody I talked to, you know, if the discounts were going to be there, if turkeys are going to be super expensive this year or not. But that being said, everything else that you buy for your Thanksgiving meal is probably going to be a little bit pricier because everything's pricier. There's actually a turkey report that comes out. This is coming from the Department of Agriculture. They're saying whole frozen turkeys are already about 26 cents more a pound than they were in the past year. So, but but as you mentioned, you know, the way the ultra the end retailers sell those out might be a little different. They're they're enticing you to get in there for other stuff. And and you know, the numbers are crazy, right? There's an estimated 46 million turkeys that are eaten on each Thanksgiving day in the US. 9 in 10 Americans eat turkey. So uh, the demand is there. And, and all of this is to say really start getting that turkey now, whether it's a frozen one and you want to get that right size and keep it. If you're going to get a fresh one, good luck ordering one, right? But but you got to start now. Uh, you can't really wait till the week before to do it. Emily Stewart, senior reporter at Vox. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Finally, for this week, we'll take a look at a rebellion inside of McDonald's in Bradford, Pennsylvania. Workers at this fast food chain were unhappy with wages and conditions and banded together to walk out. And in a good twist, all found better paying jobs. For more on how this walkout took place, we'll speak to Greg Jaffe, national reporter at the Washington Post. Yeah, I think he just finally got to the point where like a lot of retail workers, he just sort of blew. And I think what caused him to blow up was they just couldn't keep people. You know, they're paying nine twenty-five an hour in Bradford, Pennsylvania. The New York border is like 10 miles away, and there's a McDonald's maybe 17 miles away owned by the same owner in New York State where the minimum wage for fast food workers is $15 an hour. So these guys are making nine twenty-five. It's a 20-minute drive away. The same workers are making 15 for the exact same job. And as you can imagine, it's just really hard to keep workers under those circumstances. People were just leaving and they couldn't staff the store and they were getting blamed for their failure to staff right. the store. 
Yeah, and you know everybody knows kind of the cascading effects, right? Uh, mistakes at the uh, ordering window, uh, mistakes with the food orders, because you're getting this attrition and you're having new employees and it's hard to keep up and all the training. You know that's how you know bad things start happening here. So what was the turning point exactly for Dustin Snyder, who kind of organized the walkout? He he called his other employees around and he said, "Hey, you know this is not happening." He had already accepted another job at a lumber mill, so he was kind of on his way out already, but he persuaded others there to do this walkout with him. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So I think the breaking point was they all signed a petition sort of demanding more pay. And even as Dustin accepts the job at the lumber mill, I mean, he likes McDonald's, he likes his coworkers, he likes being a leader. And so they write this petition saying, you know, we deserve more, 925 is not enough. It's a fairly salty, angry petition. He faxes it off to the corporate office of the franchisee in Buffalo, who I think owns about 20, 25 of these McDonald's, and gets a message back saying, you know, essentially, hey, we were considering giving you a raise, but we're not now because we don't care for this petition. Right. And so that just, I think, causes him to snap. He pulls everyone around him and says, look, these people don't care about us. They treat us badly. It's time for us to just leave, and I'll help everyone get jobs. Yeah, and I mean, I, I guess uh, maybe the facts couldn't have been as salty, right? <laughs> but then what happens? They grabbed everybody. They said, we're going to do it. We're going to walk out. They were the day shift. So they walked out and uh, immediately there's lines of cars at the McDonald's. I guess uh, he called his general manager and kind of she was already on her way out of the company as well. But she decided she was going to come down and support uh, everybody. And as you mentioned, Dustin, for his part, uh, the assistant general manager, you know, he did say, I'm going to help everybody else try to get a better paying job. They knew of a Burger King down the street who was offering more money and just whatever they can do to help the crew that was walking out. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And so he does call his general manager, Stephanie uh, Kelly. She'd been with the company 10 years. And so she also decided to leave in the kind of the week before. So there are walkouts on one day, but literally in the week before the walkout, other folks are starting to leave both uh, Stephanie and Dustin find other jobs. And so they walk out, the cars are at the drive-thru. Stephanie texts the night shift crew saying, hey, your day shift just walked out. You know, essentially, I think you should quit too. Let's all quit. But I respect whatever you do. You don't have to. And then uh, soon, you know, they're piling in the car to drive over to the Burger King and help everyone put in applications there. As I mentioned at the beginning, you know, we've seen other walkouts. There was a Burger King in Nebraska, Del Taco in Ohio. We don't really have any definitive numbers on these small-scale walkouts. I guess the Bureau of Labor Statistics does keep track of them, but only when they're big major stoppages, you know, a 1,000 or more workers. But this is kind of emblematic of what we've seen throughout the country, especially as the pandemic hit and everything changed. I mean, so many stories are swirling around in the news right now about how the job market has completely been flipped upside down. And for these workers, low-paying workers, you know, working tons of hours, for the first time, they saw a little bit of power, hopefully, that they can get something swing in their in their favor. And, that, you know, that's why they did it. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody can sense that there's just been a bit of a power shift. They're more in demand. And so that's part of it. And then the other frustration, too, which we haven't talked about, is just, you know, masks and the fights over masks and how much stress the pandemic and those fights have put on low-wage workers, particularly service workers. Yeah, they were put in the middle of so many other, um, you know, competing factors, right? Uh, people not wanting to do it and regulations, you know, telling them that they had to. 
for this particular McDonald's, workers had started off at eight twenty-five because of the pandemic. Uh, they boosted it a dollar to nine twenty-five. Still very tough. What did we hear about as far as reactions from either the franchise owner or McDonald's corporate with this situation? The franchise owner didn't really respond to my many requests for interviews. I, you know, sent a long list of sort of detailed questions about what was going on. McDonald's didn't either, other than to sort of express their concern and frustration with uh, many of the allegations in the story. So they said they were upset about that or concerned about that, uh, but beyond that, didn't really respond. So the other thing that plays out through all of this is, you know, you hear a story about low-wage workers, fast-food workers walking out of their job, and the reactions start piling in. I guess in this case, there was a Facebook group that, um, you know, was talking about this, and really, you just started seeing things on all sides of it, people calling them lazy, people doing this, some people sticking up for them, also saying, hey, you don't know what the conditions are like. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that, because that's where the rest of it plays out, kind of in the national conversation. Yeah, that's what I found so interesting. So Bradford's a pretty poor town. It's a sort of post-industrial town uh, that's lost a lot of jobs and a lot of people. And so this Facebook group is a really interesting just window into that debate. It's a members-only Facebook group, so you've got to ask to join. So most of the people are from Bradford. And so most of the people are not that different from many of these fast food workers. Some are making a little bit more. Some are making about the same. It's a lot of low-wage workers and a really fierce debate about whether they deserve more pay. A lot of people felt like, hey, you're flipping burgers. You signed up for it. You know, if you don't like it, it's your own fault. Others feeling like everyone deserves a living wage, especially if they're working hard and showing up every day. I do want to get towards the end of the story in all of this. One month later, you know, after things had kind of uh, cleared down, a lot of them did find better paying jobs, some at these other fast food restaurants. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, almost everybody found better paying jobs. Some, you know, Tim Horton's Donuts was paying $12 an hour. I know of at least three people that went there. Um, a couple went to Burger King, which was paying $10 an hour. You know, there's a lumber mill that's had desperate for kind of low-skill workers, and a bunch of them, at least four, went to the lumber mill. You know, we're making, I think they started at twelve fifty an hour, and some have even gotten raises beyond that. You know, and Dustin, for Dustin Snyder, for his part, uh, you know, comes out looking really good in this story, right? He did mention at the beginning, I want to help everybody find a better job. And, you know, when you get, when you caught up with him a month later, he goes by that McDonald's at the end and he sees that they have a, a new sign. They're hiring starting at $10 an hour. You know, some of that initial stuff that they were hoping for that just give us a little bit more money, show us you appreciate us. They went through all of this. They walked out, at least they came out on top on the other side, but in the end, the McDonald's had to end up raising some of the wages anyways. Yeah, yeah, and I think Justin took that as a slap in the face in part because he realized it really wasn't about the pay. It was a little bit about the pay, but it was more about just, you know, letting him and the others know who was really boss around here and making it clear it wasn't them. Greg Jaffe, national reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks a ton for having me. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition.